Hello and welcome back to Silver Age Silver Screen, a podcast where we watch, discuss, and review sci-fi, cult, superhero, and other stereotypically geeky works. I am your co-host, Casey Jarms. And I'm your other co-host, Riley Thorpe. And the film we're reviewing today, it's been a long time coming. We review Man of Steel, we reviewed Batman v Superman, we're reviewing the third in that trilogy. Mm-hmm. And it's, well, it's mixed, my thoughts on this. Like, if you've listened to the past two parts, you know that I, and also Riley, if I remember correctly, weren't too fond of Man of Steel or Batman v Superman. I mean, Man of Steel, I feel like, just had so much horrendous exposition, and the writing in and of itself just felt very muddled, and for me, it just kind of made for a meh experience. We reviewed the ultimate cut of Batman v Superman, which was a lot better, obviously, than the theatrical version because, you know, you can actually comprehend what's happening in the plot. This is the 2017 theatrical release of Zack Snyder, or rather Joss Whedon's Justice League. Now, despite the fact that Joss Whedon is a douchebag and a piece of shit and has been accused of a lot of terrible behavior on set after the production of this film. I don't necessarily blame them. I blame the studio for essentially fucking this movie up. Well... Well, just Zack Snyder, he has a vision, okay? And while you and I are not always the biggest fan of that vision, I still respect and appreciate the fact that he has a style. He knows the films he likes to make, and he does that. Like, the MCU has pretty much taken over as, like, establishing a new precedent of, yeah, whenever you make, like, an action movie, it's got to have a lot of comedy to it, right? And that's not to say that all MCU films are the exact same, but there's a certain tone that MCU films have pretty much had different variations of, but it's all very similar. But Zack Snyder, when it comes to his films, he's like, no, I don't want to do that. I like, well, I want to make a darker more visceral story, and that's what he did. And there was a lot of backlash to those films. And from what I understand, due to the unfortunate passing of Zack Snyder's daughter, he went home to be with his family, and the studio called him and said, hey, we're going in a different direction, and you're fired. So that's when the studio, after screwing this man's vision of what this film is going to be over after screwing him over from a professionally and just it's a fucking horrible thing to do to anybody after doing that they hired joss whedon the director of the first two avengers and a couple other stuff to finish the film and make it a more mcu-esque version of the justice league film and what we're left with is this muddled hodgepodge of two director's visions that just comes across as a studio trying to salvage what they can and make as much money as possible without regard for the lives or feelings of the people involved. So, I don't necessarily blame the directors necessarily for the quality. They did what they could to make this the best possible version of it they can. There was just so much studio meddling and it just screwed everybody over, even the cast. And ever since I watched this movie back in theaters, I thought to myself, you know, 
I wasn't a big fan of Man of Steel or Batman v Superman, but I'm still curious as to what Zack Snyder's vision could have been. And in that, I am very glad that Snyder got his chance to make his version of the movie, though there was a lot of studio meddling in that as well. I'm still glad he got the opportunity to release the Snyder Cut on HBO Max. I appreciate that. And we will be doing the Snyder Cut in a few weeks, but here's my thing. Like, I don't give a shit about Zack Snyder's vision. Like, and this is a philosophical difference, I suppose. Like, I don't really give two shits about the purity of Zack Snyder's vision of what this film should have been. What I want is a good film. And when you're working on a project with hundreds of other people, maybe even a thousand... Tens of thousands. Massive films like this. Films that cost $300 million to make. I feel like the indie student film of, well, it's... Not great, but at least it's got his style. Like, I think that kind of falls out the window. Well, yeah, I mean, to an extent, I agree. There's only so much style can get you. But at the end of the day, from my perspective, you got to think of it like this. Like, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, they're not great movies to me and to you since we've reviewed them. They're not great, but... Zack Snyder has a fan base, like there is an audience for his films. When it comes to this, it's not a good movie, but it's also not a Zack Snyder movie. And that's not to say that Zack Snyder fans have no taste or they like bad movies, not at all. I would say that, but that's not what you're saying. (laughs) Well, yeah, no, I'm not bashing Zack Snyder fans at all. I'm just saying this movie isn't for Zack Snyder fans, and it's also not for fans who just want to see a really good movie. So at the end of the day, it's like, you know, who is this movie for, you know? Honestly, I don't think you, like, look at this and you're like, they shouldn't have replaced Zack Snyder or meddled. Well, I mean, I've... just I feel like that was unavoidable. Maybe not Whedon as the replacement, but we complain about executive meddling on this show a lot, but I actually don't think meddling was necessarily all bad in this. Like, Zack Snyder makes a movie where Batman's like just a violent superhero because that's edgy. It's cool when Batman can get raped. Yeah, and then the studio steps in and it's like, hey, for the next one, no more Batman being evil. Like, Right. I, I, when I say it's more so on the studio's fault, I mean it like I'm sure they had the best intentions to make the best quality movie they could. It's just the final product isn't very good, you know? So that's what I'm just trying to say. There were many misguided decisions that resulted in a less than stellar movie is what I'm trying to say. The road was paved with good intentions, you know? The biggest flaw of this movie is that in 2013, they decided to hire Zack Snyder to make five movies and stuck to that plan after the first one was bad until halfway through the third one. I don't know. I feel like giving one filmmaker complete creative control over an entire cinematic universe, I think that that was probably, again, a misguided decision because the thing that made, not to compare the DCEU to the MCU too much, but I do think that what made the MCU so successful in the beginning, even to this day, is having this community of filmmakers that they went into the MCU like, okay, John Favreau's gonna make Iron Man. 
Uh, Kenneth Branagh's gonna make Thor. Joss Whedon's gonna make Avengers. Edgar Wright's gonna make Ant-Man, and that's all gonna work out. But <laughs> it's like having a community, a diverse community of filmmakers, instead of just having one guy that's like, yeah, this is his vision, and if it doesn't work out, let's regard whatever. We're we're gonna keep going. You know, I think having one filmmaker be in charge of all of it, I think that was again a poor decision. Not to say that I don't think Zack Snyder should have been involved at all. It's just giving him sole creative control just put him in a very vulnerable position. And now the DCEU is in shambles, which is a shame because I do genuinely believe that the DC characters deserve an MCU-level cinematic universe. Honestly, at this point, just throw the whole cinematic universe so I don't know why they're still trying. And the, the, the craziest part to me is there is a shared universe in DC. The animated TV shows. Yeah, and the CW shows. Yeah, well, I, Which yeah. isn't good, but it's a <laughs> good cinematic universe. Like, the animated universe, they have some of the best portrayals and character development in DC media history. Like, there's a moment with Martian Manhunter that I brought up in our Justice League of America video, and I'm going to bring up in the Snyder Cut, but... There's a moment with Martian Manhunter that's like, is one of my favorite character moments in a superhero show or movie ever. And I'm like, DC, Warner Brothers, you had the blueprint right here. It's on HBO Max, your streaming service. Just do what they did. But they just have kept on fucking it up for five years. Sorry, Warner Brothers, but... I want to work for you one day, but get your shit together. <laughs> I I don't even know what the state of the DCEU is at this point. I don't even think the studio knows. Again, sorry, Warner Brothers. Please hire me, but... Yeah, yeah. Beg for jobs somewhere else. Let's just get into it. We've talked enough about the development history of this film and the philosophy of one auteur vision on... What is like, if you include the Snyder Cut reshoots, like, I'm pretty sure the third or fourth most expensive film ever made. Like, let's just get into it. So, previously in this series, Superman fucking died! <laughs> so that's not good. And this film, it opens up with a flashback scene of some kids interviewing Superman for a podcast. And unlike the last two times we saw Henry Cavill's Superman, he's actually friendly and charismatic. Mm-hmm. As I would argue Superman should be. But the scene, these kids are interviewing him for a podcast. And if you notice... I, I assume you're noticing because you're looking at the actor's face, you'll notice something's a little wonky with it. And that's because when they were filming the reshoots for this movie, Henry Cavill was shooting for Mission Impossible Fallout, where he was contractually obligated to have a very sexy mustache. <laughs> and he could not... I mean, <laughs> I... Hold on. He had a mustache. I don't know, a very sexy... Especially not with the very. He's a sexy man. Well, yes, but not because of the mustache. Also, I think the mustache kind of sucks. Well, to each their own, I guess. I don't know. I don't kink shame you, bro. But <laughs> for reshoots, he was prohibited from shaving his mustache. So they decided to CGI the mustache off his face. And it, it it's bad. It's really bad. You can tell where the original shot 
ends and the reshoots begin because his face looks like dog shit. Anyway, that's my two cents. The mustache that was too important for Superman. You know, people are always talking about how we need this 4K resolution, like really good film quality because it enhances the film. I gotta say, this film is a counter argument because I watched it on an iPhone and couldn't really notice the mustache. So sorry, Chris Nolan, actually, Watching HBO Max on your phone is a good way to enjoy a film. It made this one better. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, I also watched it on a phone, and I thought Henry Cavill's face during those scenes was kind of painful. From there, we cut to Batman fighting and stopping a robber, played by the guy that plays Bill Tench in Mindhunter. He uses the robber to lure out a parademon, which... I guess parademons are just on Earth now. That's never really explained how, why, or when. Yeah, why are parademons there? I mean, I guess they're searching for the mother box. Actually, overall, what is this film's plot? Like, the way Batman v Superman ended, it's like, oh, they're coming to Earth because Superman can't defend it. But also, no. In this film, Steppenwolf says that they're coming to Earth to destroy it. Because everyone's really scared now that Superman's dead and they feed off fear, which I feel like there are other times in human history where they could have fed off fear. And also, I mean, Superman was around for like two years. Like, why Steppenwolf just wait for thousands of years and then be like, ah, oh, yes, now I'll go, oh, wait, Superman's there. Eh, give me a few years to wait. Because that's a plot hole that the reshoots couldn't cover up. You know, this film having like 15% and or 75%, depending on if you're asking the producers or Zack Snyder, who also says he hasn't even watched it. This film being reshot that time and then reshot again for the Snyder cut. It doesn't really patch up the fact that this isn't that deep of a film. Yeah, no, the plot was made a lot more simplistic. And eh, I feel like they swung too far in the other direction. Like, Man of Steel, it introduces all of these plot elements and gives complicated exposition of them. And they are all completely irrelevant. Like, all that stuff about the Codex and it being in Clark. None of that even matters for the film. And Batman v Superman, basically the core conflict of the film up until the climax, does not matter. Yeah. So those films were complicated, but didn't really add anything. So this film, it just, let's be a simple, simple action movie. There's an alien invasion, superheroes stop it, bada bing, bada boom, done. And then someone said, oh, cool, let's take that simple plot and make it four hours. Though I have seen like two thirds of the Snyder Cut and it is more complex. I'm not going to talk about it go in depth too much because I'll save it for the review. Honestly, there are like five different episodes of this show where I just talk about how the Snyder Cut is a terrible idea and I cannot imagine it being good. Maybe it'll end up being good. Maybe I'll have to eat my words in a few weeks. 
Yeah, maybe. I'm not betting on it, but maybe. Batman traps the parademon and it explodes and Batman reveals to the robber that it was just a scout because Batman knows what's happening. Just again, Yeah, because he has Lex's notes from the end of the last one. And then the robber, like we said, dumbing it down a bit. The robber's like, a scout from space? Like an alien army? Well, first off, Batman didn't say alien ever. You're pulling that out of your ass. And also, uh, thank you, film. Thank you. I did not gather that's what was going on. Uh, thank you. I am a dumb boy who is stupid and needs you to explain things to me. From there, we get a title sequence of everyone being sad and criminals harassing nice people that just own a fruit stand or whatever. Yeah, yeah, what the fuck even is that? The cops arresting a man for something, I don't know. And the man just kicks in slow motion this fruit cart and it flips over and slow motion what what is the what is the point of this because the world is falling into chaos this film it was heavily reshot but there are still those snyder touches every once in a while one thing that i did notice really early on is the music is a lot more playful and a lot more lighthearted and danny elfman is a great composer and i do think he does a great job here but it is worth noting that they were like, yeah, no, we're going to make this a much more lighthearted film. And the music definitely reflects that. Yeah. And I mean, I like Danny Elfman. I like some of the music stuff in this film. Yeah. But overall, the feel of this film is the most interesting thing to talk about. Not just the reshoots. I think it is much more on the executives coming in and telling Zack Snyder to stop being Zack Snyder. I mean, even with the reshoots, the script wasn't changed and a big portion of the film was already filmed. This doesn't feel like a Joss Whedon film. It feels like a Zack Snyder film that was told to just, just stop, please. I, I don't care that you think it's edgy if Superman mopes and Batman's a serial killer. Just, just make a good movie. God damn. This film, it's stylistically so weird. It's Zack Snyder reigned in, and the music contributes to that. How it's shock contributes to it. The fact that they added in weeding-style comedy to a lot of scenes adds to that. It doesn't feel connected to the other two films stylistically. No, not at all. It's weird. From there, we get a scene where terrorists attack a museum with a bunch of Girl Scouts there. Wonder Woman stops them, which is a pretty good action scene. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, the action in this movie, I do think is really good. And that I do think is mostly due to Zack Snyder, because despite everything we said, Zack Snyder knows how to make a great action scene. And Wonder Woman's badass. Obviously, I mean, no one's arguing that. Yeah, she stops these criminals from blowing up the museum in order to plunge the world back into the Dark Ages. And that that plot's never brought up again. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I mean, hey, I like some Silver Age-ass villains being stopped by Wonder Woman. And from a plot perspective, like opening scene, Superman's gone. The world is in darkness. And then we see Wonder Woman being a hero. Like, that works. That works. But yeah, yeah. also, what the fuck were those guys on about? Like, we are going to make the world into the Dark Ages by blowing up this museum. We have been cursed by God. And that's why Superman said... I, what? 
you have these motives that could be interesting and complex, but actually would probably have ended up being stupid from what we've heard. But that's the only scene anything like this happens. It, it's just weird. That's this film overall. It's weird. More than anything, it's weird. I wouldn't even say that this film, for the most part, like, it's a very, very flawed film. I wouldn't even say it's, like, bad. It's just off. It's uncanny valley. Yeah. And that's not just because of Henry Cavill's mustache being CGI'd off. That's just the entire movie. From there, we get a shot of Batman traveling to Iceland to recruit Aquaman to the Justice League. And he does so by just straight up telling this stranger that he knows who he is, insulting him, saying he can talk to fish, and telling him he's Batman. Because Batman's not good at keeping his secrets now. No, he really isn't. Like, there's that where he tells basically everyone in this random Icelandic bar that he's Batman. But also later, during the fight against Superman, which I have thoughts on, everyone is shouting their first names at each other, even though they have super identities like, Bruce, oh no, Superman's gonna kill you right in front of civilians. It's kind of dumb. And also it has that thing that admittedly is in basically all Batman media, where he's just constantly on his communicator like, Hey, Alfred, do this thing for me. Oh, oh, you're talking to Alfred, Bruce Wayne's butler? That's interesting, Batman. Batman fails to recruit Aquaman to the team because Aquaman prefers to be a lone wolf. Batman and Alfred theorize about what the mother boxes are and what they're used for. And what they are used for is a MacGuffin. <laughs> That's the best description of them. I mean, yeah, pretty much. Speaking of that kind of dumb MacGuffin, the film cuts to Themyscira, the place where Wonder Woman's from. And we see all of these Amazonians. Is it Amazons or Amazonians? I don't know. People who piss in bottles because their boss is bad. That's what Wonder Woman's people are called. We yeah, see sure. them like all standing guarding the mother box because it's activated. And then this massive wormhole opens and down comes Steppenwolf. Side note, he almost always uses the wormholes to teleport to the mother boxes. So at first I thought, oh, portal technology, that's their thing from the comics. But no, he can teleport anywhere. Yeah, he can use a boom tube anywhere, but he just travels to where he knows the mother boxes are, which is not that hard because two of them were put in giant obligatory temples and the other one was buried five feet below the dirt. Something I'd like to note about this scene with the Amazons. You notice that their design has changed a bit and like half of them are in bikinis. That's great. I, I loved how they took that practical designs from the Wonder Woman film and then just made them into bikinis. It isn't all of them, at least, but it is noticeable that it's some of them. From there, Steppenwolf is revealed, who's just a giant gray CGI thing, and he's our antagonist for the entire film. And I will say, Steppenwolf's CGI isn't terrible. Like, his body actually, I thought, looked pretty convincing apart from his face. Like, yeah. his face is very stiff, and his mouth, like, barely moves when he's talking and doesn't give much emotion. And maybe that's what they were going for, but it's just like, it just doesn't match up with the emotion that the actor is portraying, or the voice actor is portraying, you know? So from there, I think his body, especially the reflections off his helmet, I thought that was pretty convincing. It's just his face didn't look too great. It felt very wooden and very stiff. Cyborg 
has a similar problem where... Well, first off, both of them have way too busy designs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But setting that aside, uh, they just feel slightly off, which is a thing I've been saying a lot in this review. But now it's for a different reason, where just their faces are a little off, and whether or not they're actually in the scenes, eh. it's not terrible, it's just fine. Yeah, I agree. More noticeable about Steppenwolf, besides... The fact that he's just a CGI alien with a bland design is his personality. And credit where credit's due, Siren Hines, I probably butchered that name, who plays Steppenwolf, he gives a good performance for what he's given. I mean, he at least manages to be an intimidating villain. But yeah, Steppenwolf is just so bland. Yes. He's this strong, tough intimidating alien conqueror that we have seen in a thousand films before. He's Thanos without the depth. He's Ronan the Accuser, except not being used as a comedic foil. He's Malekith. That's the Marvel character I compare him to. Yes, absolutely. Steppenwolf is a very boring character, and it's really for two reasons. One, it's his physical presence in the film. Now, Think about it like this. I know, Casey, you haven't seen Predator, which we will, spoiler alert, we're going to be reviewing next week. There's a very interesting thing that I found between the OG Predator and the 2018 The Predator. Because, spoiler alert, there's a scene in the original Predator where the alien is shown to be wounded and it bleeds versus The Predator, where there's that giant monster, super predator, whatever that is, at no point in the movie, up until the final battle, is it really ever shown to be able to be hurt. Now, that sounds like a very minuscule detail, but at the end of the day, it's a huge difference. Because in the original Predator, yeah, we learn, the audience learns, that the monster can get hurt. And from that, it gives the action scenes more weight, because it feels like okay, there's more tension there. The predator can obviously hurt the hero, and the hero can obviously hurt the predator. So there's more of a tension, sense of tension in the action scenes there, where you know there's a chance that he can win. Whereas in The Predator, because the super predator was never shown to get hurt by anything, it just makes him this invulnerable monster that they can't beat. And because of that, the action scenes just seem weightless and does, don't have much tension to them. I feel the exact same way about Steppenwolf in this. There are scenes where Wonder Woman is hacking at him with Amazonian steel, and lasers are being shot at him, and he's just flicking them away. And he can't be hurt. Which, again, adds a sense of weightlessness to the action scenes when they're fighting him, which I guess they could conceivably be going for because they're like, okay, we need to bring Superman back to life in order to stand a chance against this guy. So from that perspective, I guess that's justifiable. But at the end of the day, what we're left with is his character. And there's nothing to his character. He's just a generic, I'm going to destroy the world villain. So we talked about how the mother boxes, they're MacGuffins. They're the best type of MacGuffins where they just do whatever the plot needs them to do. Always love when that happens in films. Yeah. Uh, but more specifically, what Steppenwolf wants them for is, you see, he's from Apocalypse, which is this 
very colorful. Well, I mean, it's a fiery hellscape, but like, look at the designs of the new gods. It's some of Jack Kirby's most creative Silver Age zaniness. It's awesome that we don't get any of this. But anyway, he is from Apocalypse, this hell world, and they send him with mother boxes to other planets so he can turn them into hell worlds for a reason. And the closest thing we get to characterization of Steppenwolf is that a thousand years ago he was defeated and he's trying to restore his honor by taking Earth. And that's fine, I guess, but it's not really touched on after it's mentioned. Also, when he's killing the Amazons, he, like, tells them, Soon you will love me, which is really creepy and feels to me like, oh, anti-life equation. Okay, that's an interesting thing from the comics. Okay, nope, never mentioned again. He just wants to turn into a hell world with the MacGuffin. Right, exactly. And not to, again, like I said, not to compare it too much to the Snyder Cut, but Steppenwolf has much more of a character in the Snyder Cut in that he has a chip on his shoulder and he has something to prove. And there's just none of that in this version of Steppenwolf. He's just Malekith, like you said. Like, thank you for bringing that up. He's just a boring character in weightless action scenes looking for MacGuffins. And that's the worst kind of villain you can have in a movie like this. So anyway, he kicks the ass of the Amazons, takes their mother box, and then we get introduced to another one of our film's main characters who had potential. We get introduced to Victor Stone, See, Victor Stone's backstory is that he was in an explosion that almost killed him. But right around that same time, Superman died, which caused the mother box that his father owned to turn on. So his father Silas experimented on him, which turned him into this half-mother box cyborg. And first off, that's a bit of a plot hole. Like, they say that he became cyborg after Superman's death. Which doesn't work because we see footage of him being cyborg in Batman v Superman before Superman dies. Ignoring that, ignoring continuity snarls. Our introduction to Cyborg of him just hiding in his home, like, and it hides his face for most of the scene. And then we see that half of his face is metal and he has a red eye. And like, we get this really strong characterization that he's afraid that he's a monster, that he isn't human anymore, that this thing, the mother box, is going to take control of him and make him destroy the world. And that's really interesting characterization that almost entirely disappears after that short scene. Right, because Joss Whedon's racist. Yeah. Yeah, he cut out Iris West from this film, who was played by an African-American woman. And Ray Fisher, the actor who plays Cyborg, has talked about how during color correction in the film, that process, Joss Whedon demanded that a darker-skinned woman have her skin tones turned lighter. Oh, boy. And while we're bashing Joss Whedon, he also threatened to destroy Gal Gadot's career because of this movie. And of all the actors that have come out about how horrible Joss Whedon is, Gal Gadot, Ezra Miller, Jason Momoa, all that, 
the only one that got punished by the studio by being fired was the African-American man. So, and of course, Joss Whedon, he's been an asshole for years. And so like the vibe I get from Hollywood is that everyone kind of knows all the baggage. Like, for instance, lots of people knew Kevin Spacey was a rapist for years. Like Seth MacFarlane, like three years before it came out, made jokes because it was apparently common Hollywood knowledge, even if. Just how much of a prick Joss Whedon was wasn't fully out there at that point. I mean, he's been an asshole since the days of Firefly where he purposely tried to make female writers cry because he got off on it. Like, why was this man still getting work for years? Hollywood is kind of a cesspool. And I mean, I like a lot of the things he's worked on, but also, fuck it. I don't think he should ever be given work again because he's incapable of making films without mistreating the other people who work on them. Like, good sci-fi show, not worth people who work on it being treated like shit by this douchebag. There are other directors who can direct good things. And yeah, I may think he's a better director than another person who worked on this movie, but fuck him. Yeah, like, exactly. I want good movie. I don't want it to come at the cost. I don't like that Alfred Hitchcock, Stephen Kubrick, like, okay, yeah, they basically tortured the actresses, but it made the performances real. Like, no, screw that. Fuck Joss Whedon. Yeah, fuck that racist, sexist piece of shit. I could talk for hours about... Like, he's just... A, him being a dick to Ray Fisher is just racism, but God, Joss Whedon... Is this just going to become us talk about how much we hate Joss Whedon? Joss Whedon is such an... I don't know if interesting is the right word. He's a very specific type of misogynist where he calls himself a feminist. Yeah. And he has lots of action girls, but that's mostly because he just wants hot women to step on them. And there's lots of not great stuff in their portrayals. Mm-hmm. And also... I want to review Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog sometime because, A, it's really good, but B, it's this perfect critique of nerdy, nice guys, nice guy in quotation marks, brand of sexism, and Joss Whedon made that without a hint of irony, and I think it was unintentional, and we're completely off topic at this So anyway, Wonder Woman finds out about the Amazons, so she teams up with her old friend Batman, who may have a crush on her, and they decide to recruit the rest. Wonder Woman is tasked with getting Cyborg, Batman goes to get Flash. And we do get a scene with Flash at the prison with his father, which is nice. It gives us some characterization that, like the Cyborg, could have been better built upon. By the way, then Flash meets Batman, and... Batman throws a knife at his face. Let's talk about Flash's portrayal in this film. I have very mixed feelings. Yeah, I mean, not to say that Ezra Miller is a bad actor. Ezra Miller is a very good actor. I think that the Flash in general... Flash, Cyborg, and Aquaman are just wasted in this movie. I think. Yeah. Aquaman could have been cut from this film. Right, exactly. Without really any impact on the plot. He's just like the team's big guy, bro, hothead. Like, and I mean, that's fine, but give him death. But 
Flash and Cyborg are more insulting because we get these little nuggets of characterization that could have been built on to be good, and they aren't. Yep, so Barry Allen visits his dad in prison. His dad tells him to go live his life and forget about him because his dad's in prison for killing his mom. We all know that. Yeah, yeah, we all saw the first season of The Flash, which was... The only good season. Yeah, yeah. From there, we get The Flash going back to his headquarters... And Batman's just sitting in his second favorite chair in the dark, waiting for him to return. He could have been waiting there for hours. We don't know. Honestly, Batman must do that a lot. Just be waiting. That's why he has to leave early so much, because he needs to get there early to wait for people to show up. Right, exactly. Yeah, so he shows up, throws a knife batarang at this random guy's head. This random guy doesn't even know he has superpowers. Saw him on a TV screen, like, on a grainy CCTV footage a year earlier, and just throws a knife at him because, yeah, I know. I know it's you. I mean, sure, like, yeah, he probably has super speed, but you don't know for sure. He flat out states, like, after Flash catches the knife, like, oh, I thought you had super speed. You thought? You thought, Batman? I thought this movie was gonna stop Batman being a remorseless murderer. Then again, Batman does recruit nine-year-olds to fight in war zones, so I don't know. Twelve-year-olds, thank you very much. And what the fuck do you mean a war zone? Gotham City. Fair enough. Chicago is a fucking war zone. I'm sure Gotham City with Joker, Two-Face, and Penguin running around, I'm sure it's gotta be a war zone. I mean, I'd argue against you, but there's a storyline in the comics where Gotham is hit by an earthquake and the government just decides it isn't part of the U.S. anymore and the city <laughs> descends into chaos. What the fuck even was that storyline, by the way? I don't even know. So anyway, Batman recruits Flash, and he joins immediately because, yeah, friends, help save the world. And I'm so torn on Flash's characterization. I think there are elements of it that could have worked, like him being this young guy, this more naive superhero that Batman takes under his wing. That would work, and I'm not against Flash being used to add some levity to the film. The film isn't dark enough to really need that, but I'm not really going to complain about them trying to add levity after two films of Superman just standing there moping for two hours. Like, I don't think Flash is a bad idea in concept, but it's too much. He's too much. They just make Flash so awkward and nerdy and just not even quippy, just saying, like, weird stuff, like, throughout the film, and a little of it would have been fine, but it's just a bit too much. Yeah, hey, Casey, can, let, let me ask you this real quick. Just a quick question. What are your feelings on brunch? Yeah. <laughs> that was very clearly a reshoot right there. Flash is concerned and has a panic attack about the idea of brunch. I would explain the more intricacies of, like, his thing that he's saying there, but honestly, it's better just to leave it at that. Flash is freaked out about brunch. Honestly, you know, it's like one of the only Flash moments in this movie that I really think works. Yeah. When he's visiting his father, a guy is, like, mean to him in line, and he just walks away, and then that guy gets to the head of the line, and he just has, like, fake glasses and a mustache drawn on, like, 
<laughs> That's fun. Yeah. Oh, and also another moment that works later in the movie, they have Superman just show him up when saving civilians, and it's kind of fine. I'm not against him being comic relief. It just, it's too much. And people talk about, like, this film having a tone. Honestly, it's not even that. It's just 90% this one character. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, and I mean a lot, of awkward humor and dialogue, mostly from The Flash, and a lot of it does not land at all. Especially that scene where Martha and Lois meet up, and Martha calls Lois thirsty. Like, she said, oh, Honestly, no, I laughed at that, like... Yeah. You know, Clark always said you were the thirstiest reporter. No, hungriest. I wrote in my notes, Lois is a thirsty bitch, question mark? I mean, yes, she is. I mean, we all saw Man of Steel. <laughs> Honestly, the humor in this film that works the best, I think this might be my favorite live-action portrayal of Batman. And really? that's... Okay. Er, let me rephrase. I think this might be the most comic-accurate portrayal of Batman. A, they get rid of the murder, but they still have him have that darkness because it's Ben Affleck. But also, they add in a little bit of snark and him bouncing off other teammates and having this kind of rough but friendly relationship with him. I like Ben Affleck's Batman a lot more in this than I did in Batman v Superman. In that regards, I agree with you. I just think tonally, a lot of the more comedic stuff got a little too silly for me. That's just in general with this movie, but I don't know. I, I, I agree with you to an extent, but I also feel like there were moments I was like, that's a little silly for Batman. Then again, it, it's a comic book. Batman is inherently a comedic character, especially when compared to the Justice League, but still. Yeah, like, stop all this, like, Batman is serious and edgy. No, have Batman be a serious character, but also, I mean, if you really want to be realistic, people saying, Oh shit, you actually dress up like a bat is realistic, and it's a bit of Let me rephrase. I said that this is my favorite live-action Batman appearance. I don't really like any live-action Batman. It's always the problem of the acting versus the writing. Like, there are films where I like the writing, hate the acting. There are films where I like the acting, hate the writing. Ben Affleck's probably my favorite acting for Batman. I just wish he had better writing. Yeah, I agree. The opposite is Christian Bale, who I don't really like his performance that much, but he's the only Batman in a solo film that has a good character arc. Yeah, I agree. So anyway, the parademons begin kidnapping Star Lab scientists because they can smell the mother box on them, including Cyborg's father. Batman, Wonder Woman, and Flash go to meet with Commissioner Gordon, who only shows up really in one scene and very briefly in a second. So not really a major character, didn't need a good actor. But also they got J.K. Simmons, who's a great actor, and if they did do the Ben Affleck Batman movie, would have been a perfect Gordon. But anyway, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Flash, plus Cyborg, who shows up because his dad got kidnapped, head into the sewers to rescue the scientists kidnapped by Steppenwolf. And they immediately come across the room where all the scientists are being held. Oh, okay, that... That's convenient. And Flash is, like, scared, and Batman's like, just save one person. And it almost works. Like, yeah. if they had had 
Flash is scared and then he saves someone and it's like, oh shit, I'm just gonna save everyone. Like, that would work, but they keep having him be awkward and kind of cowardly after that. Like, no! Have him get his character development and keep it! Like, mm, you're on the edge of being okay. Yeah, I know that that line where he's like, I've never done battle. I just push people and run away. I know that line in particular really pissed Zack Snyder off. Which is kind of understandable. That's not at all his vision. But yeah, after meeting with Commissioner Gordon and just disappearing out of nowhere, leaving the Flash to be like, oh, where'd they all go? That was kind of nice. Yeah, I, I, I did like that. That was pretty funny. And J.K. Simmons got shredded for this movie for no reason whatsoever. Wait, wait, he got shredded for- Yeah, look it up. Look up- Why? He appears for three minutes and he's wearing heavy clothing. I don't know, but look up the photos, man. It's badass. Was the original plan for the Batman solo film, Commissioner Gordon, instead of relying on Batman, just goes around punching people with his brute force because he's jacked? I would watch that. Yeah, he got absolutely cut for this movie for absolutely no reason. God, he is cut, and he has a Santa beard. Turns out this was all preparation for Klaus. (laughs) Yeah, the dude's like in his 60s and he did that. And then they cut it from the movie. J.K. Simmons is great in everything. J. Jonah Jameson, Tenzin, Cave Johnson, the guy in Whiplash. Omni-Man. He's a really good actor. Yeah, yeah. I love that he's in this film for only three minutes. (laughs) Right, exactly. But yeah, they do battle with Steppenwolf, and there's a line where Cyborg saves his dad, and Steppenwolf says, Ah, you're born of the mother boxes, and you're a monster now. And Cyborg goes, I don't see it that way. I feel like they didn't develop that at all, which is mostly due to the fact that Ray Fisher got fucked when it comes to his appearances in this movie. Thanks, Joss Whedon. But um, yeah, then they start doing battle as the Flash saves everybody. And again, a pretty compelling action scene. However, it ends with the Flash falling on Wonder Woman's boobs, which is the exact same thing that the Hulk did to Black Widow in Avengers Age of Ultron. Wow, wow! I am clapping! That joke was so good! Do it again! Admittedly, like, two seconds before that, it was really good. I love the effects of Flash's speed in this movie, of him just running around, and it's shot beautifully. It's great, and it's punctuated by a dumb joke. Exactly. Also, also, in that action scene, Batman just pulls out a tank that can, like, crawl up things that... Feels like it's supposed to be a toy. Like a lot of Batman media, like the Schumacher films are probably the worst example of this, have selling toys as a goal of them. Mm-hmm. And that was made to sell toys, I feel. Because it's not relevant to the plot at all. Just Batman shows up in a cool tank and it immediately gets destroyed. Right. Oh, yeah. One thing I think we forgot to mention was Steppenwolf boom tubed to Atlantis and pretty effortlessly stole the second mother box. And I don't know, Aquaman talks with Mara setting up the Aquaman solo movie. But Mara is a really boring character in this, even though she has like a scene. She has two minutes of screen time, and it's just to set up something. And also, now that they've attacked Atlantis, which Aquaman does not care about any more than he cares about the human world, now he's 
going to show up and save them. Okay, sure. Why not? Aquaman's not a great character in this. So anyway, Steppenwolf fights them. I don't know. I was going to say he beats them up, but not really. Wonder Woman matches him blow for blow. But like you said, no ever be affected by anything. And then he just decides to run away. And also Aquaman's here now. Yeah, because they launch missiles at Steppenwolf, to which he grabs one and uses it to blow up the tunnel that they're under, which is underneath the Gotham Harbor. The place starts flooding, they start escaping, but Aquaman shows up and gives them enough time to escape, and then Cyborg just flies away immediately and bails, because fuck that shit, the cops are coming. Actually, you know what? I just realized something. How did Aquaman know they were there? I don't know, man. Plot convenience. And also, they didn't even really need Aquaman to save them. I like, one of you can run at the speed of light and go up walls. I mean, it's cool that Aquaman's here now, but okay. Although Steppenwolf catching a missile, calling it primitive, and slamming it against wall, that's cool. Although, the thing is, what? why was he retreating? What point did that serve? Like, couldn't he have just killed them? I don't understand a lot of this movie. Neither do I, and I don't even think the studio does. Well, I do understand it's they need an encounter with the villain to show that he's stronger than them, Mm -hmm. but they didn't come up for a good reason for him to leave. That's why. I understand it. It's just dumb. So anyway, Steppenwolf is way too strong for them. I mean, Wonder Woman fought him blow for blow, and now they have Aquaman who's about as strong as her, so... I don't really know that they need Superman. But Batman says, we need Superman. And, I mean, it's good characterization that he feels guilty about being a fucking asshole in the last one and wants to make amends. So, they decide to revive Superman. Because that's a thing the MacGuffins can do. And also, if he's brought back to life because of the MacGuffin, why was the dirt shaking? Right, exactly. What? At the end of Batman v Superman, the dirt starts floating up from his coffin and teasing, oh, he's still alive because in the comics he didn't really die, he just went into a Kryptonian coma or whatever. And nope, no, they use the mother box that after Cyborg bailed on the battle, he just flew back to his apartment or wherever he went and brought the mother box back with him because it was just hanging out in Metropolis And despite the fact that the parademons can smell it, they couldn't smell it in a random apartment. He brings it back. They all hatch a plan to sneak into Zod's ship, use the thing that created Doomsday and the Mother Box to resurrect Superman. And it was in this scene and a couple scenes later on that we see the team members arguing with each other. Now, on paper, that could conceivably be a good idea, but for me, those scenes felt pretty tacked on and... They were, because from what I understand, before going into the Snyder Cut, and from what I did see during it, there was a little conflict between the members, but in large part, the Justice League members were like, okay, we're working together, we're a team now. But the studio wanted it more along the lines of the Avengers, where there was internal conflict between the different members, and that's interesting, having internal conflict among the teammates That's interesting. However, in the Avengers, it was done with a purpose. It was done with a plot and character purpose. But in this, it just feels like, oh no, the Avengers did it, so let's just have them arguing every once in a while. 
And it just, those scenes feel tacked up. Yeah. And also, the reason why it worked in the Avengers is because the characters had clearly established personalities and differences that could be used to nudge wedges between them. And the whole point of that film's plot is them learning to come together. In this, they don't really need that. Like, Cyborg says, I'm not going to join the team. Then he joins it. Aquaman says, I'm not going to join the team. Then he joins it. Wonder Woman says, don't revive Superman. Then they revive Superman. Like, it's not about them learning to work together. It's just adding some conflict into a film that was so shallow that when they were writing it, they didn't think to have that. So anyway, they revive Superman. But, oh no, he's missing his memories. So he defaults to the normal personality of Henry Cavill Superman. Fucking asshole. And just destroys shit. And just beats them up. Uh, He flies to the destroyed Superman monument where all the other Justice League members try to stop him. And we get a pretty cool scene of the Flash running, expecting to be obviously a lot faster than him. But then Superman is able to keep up. And it's this oh shit moment that I thought that was pretty effective. Yeah, it's really good. Also, because I'm I'm still not over Batman v Superman. When Superman sees Batman, he gets a little bit of his memory back. Like, he remembers some of the stuff of Batman v Superman. And he just beats up Batman because he's mad at Batman. And you know what? Fuck Batman. Superman has the right to kick you into a cop car and break your back. I mean, in that scene, he's back in his... Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, douchebag personality that I hate, but I'm not going to mock him for kicking Batman. Right. And anyway, then Batman brings in the big gun that he had prepared, and I'm like, oh god, is it Kryptonite again? Like, seriously, is this going to be Batman killing Superman again? But no, he brings in Lois, and that, like, causes Superman to calm down and fly back to Kansas. And that's better. He could probably just had her be there when they brought Superman back. But we had to have this big reminder that Lois Lane is in fact in this movie. Because up until this point, she really isn't. There's been like five scenes before this with Lois Lane. You'll notice we didn't mention any of them because they exist. I don't know. They don't really lead to anything. They just say, oh, I'm sad and I can't do my job because obviously she has reason to or her fiancé's dead, but... I don't know. Oh, by the way, speaking of things that are pointless that we ignored, the film keeps cutting to this random Russian family. Oh, yeah. Where Steppenwolf is building his doomsday device. Or not doomsday device. That's the ship they use to revive Superman. His unity device. Where he's putting the mother boxes. And you'll notice we didn't talk about this family. Because there's there's nothing today. It occasionally shows some civilians hiding from Steppenwolf. And I kind of get what he's trying to do. I know Zack Snyder... I'm betting that was a Zack Snyder move, not a Whedon move. I know Zack Snyder is a big fan of Watchmen, even though he does not understand it even slightly. And in that, it keeps cutting to just civilians reacting to stuff. So at the end, when they all die, when New York's destroyed, sorry for spoiling a 35-year-old book, that's how Watchmen ends, uh, it's really sad. And the reason that's effective is because they all have strong characterizations and well-established personalities. And in this, the Russian family are just like, ooh, they're civilians. That's it. 
Doesn't really lead to much. I mean, at the end, Flash saves them, so that's cool, but okay. You didn't need the time for that. That was time they could have been used for, I don't know, making Cyborg a character. Yep, but Joss Whedon wouldn't have that because, you know, he's a racist. One scene we forgot to mention was the scene where Flash and Cyborg are digging up Clark Kent's body. God, that scene was painful. Flash tries to fist bump Cyborg, and it's just painfully awkward. It's just bad. But they resurrect Superman, they fight him, Lois shows up, he takes her to the farmhouse where she compliments him on his smell, despite, you know, being in a fucking coffin the last year and then being in a giant slime-filled echo chamber. And then at the end of the fight scene, Steppenwolf steals the third mother box off screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just, that's the best way to describe it. When Superman gets revived, there's a bit of an explosion, and the mother box gets knocked outside, and no one goes to get it, because gotta deal with Superman. Oh, oh, also, we didn't mention Cyborg's suit, like, tries to fight Superman because it thinks he's a threat, but that isn't really touched upon again after that, so who cares? But anyway, and then after Superman flies off, they just turn around, and there's a boom tube going away, and they're like, ah, shit! Well... Guess we'll go to Russia and fight Steppenwolf now. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to even attempt to go find Superman. We just got to deal with this. I mean, to be fair, the world is going to end in a few hours. Yeah, true. But also, like, it's not a clever film. Like, it's just things happen. Yeah, the Justice League, they track down the energy surge of the Mother Boxes to this abandoned, quote-unquote, town in Russia. They travel there. They start fighting. Superman just puts on some clothes. I don't know. He's just immediately better now. I mean, you mean better as in healthier, but I would like to note, Superman's better when he shows up in Russia. Oh, yeah. He's finally Superman. And I feel like that's not really a praise of this film so much as a criticism of the last two, but Superman finally works as a character. First off, just, it's a minor thing, but the costume is finally the right colors, <laughs> and it just does so much to make it work. Yeah. When he shows up to save the day, we get a remix of the classic, classic, da-da-na-na. Da-da-na. He's finally just this friendly, charismatic guy. He's Superman. He's finally someone who would give you hope. He's finally someone you would look up at to as a hero. This isn't me complimenting the film. That's the bare minimum of what a film with Superman should be. But, God, after the last two, it's so refreshing. Absolutely. But then, in my opinion, leave it up to this movie to fuck it up a little more... I love the portrayal of Superman as a character. However, his involvement in the plot in the final battle is very cheapened because he's just a deus ex machina. He just shows up to conveniently defeat Steppenwolf effortlessly and they save the day. Yeah, Superman just overwhelms Steppenwolf and saves the day. And also, minor thing, why did it have to be Superman? The climax is so focused on Superman being the only one who's competent. Like, he's the one who pulls the mother boxes apart. I, I don't know why that had to be him. I will note that Aquaman and Wonder Woman get the final blow-in on Steppenwolf. Or, they don't even hurt him, they just break his axe. And that makes him scared, so the parademons kill him. Like, so... They didn't even need their do sex machina, really. 
Right. No, not at all. Although, to be fair, I will note, Superman saving a bunch of civilians by just lifting the entire apartment building is great. Earlier, as they're charging into battle with Batman, there's this great moment. It's the best action in the entire movie, I would say. Aquaman just... He jumps up, he stabs his trident into a parademon, surfs on it, jumps into another, stabs into it. He, like, jumps between five different parademons midair. It's super cool. Yeah, yeah, and that's really Aquaman's only moment in this entire movie. That is also true, but at least he had a moment. Yeah, I mean, why didn't you just set the place near water and he can have a giant fucking kraken come up? And eat some parademons. And even if he's not near water, he's buff! He's just a big, tough dude. Like, give him some cool stuff with Steppenwolf. I mean, he breaks the axe, but still. And he has that really cool shot where he surfs on that parademon and just crashes through, like, four stories of a building and jumps off unscathed. That was badass. Batman uses that Gotham City police siren to distract the parademons. That siren was better set up than Batman's suit in the Batman v Superman fight. Just throwing that out there. That's unfortunate. Honestly, that is a nice moment for Batman where he tells the team, okay, you deal with Steppenwolf, save the world. Uh, I'll deal with the parademons. And he like drives through the town blaring the siren attracting all the parademons who will kill him and then the team just shows up and they fight side by side and it's cool it's cool yeah, yeah there is a really great moment i think with superman right when he shows up to the fight and knocks out steppenwolf for a few seconds they're telling him okay this is the plan we need to do this and superman's like wait hold on there's civilians and he flies away to save them that is superman that's superman who prioritizes saving lives over fighting. That is Superman to me. If only that idea of Superman had existed four years earlier. Anyway, Steppenwolf is anticlimactically defeated. And then the movie's over. I mean, there's some epilogue stuff. Wonder Woman becomes a public superhero. Batman starts planning to build out the League. Flash becomes a forensic scientist and starts working to free his father. The day is saved and everything's happy and it's fine. It's fine. You know, overall, this film, it's so messy and it's so uncanny valley. And there's so much dumb stuff and worse, stuff that is just generic and bland. But I will say, this film, unlike the theatrical cuts of Man of Steel and Batman v Superman barely, at times, manages to work as a movie. It's not good, it's incredibly mediocre, but it doesn't make me irrationally angry at the people making it. I'd say the extended edition of Batman v Superman's a bit better than this, and I haven't seen the Snyder Cut because I've been over this, but setting those two and Watchmen aside. So I guess between this theatrical Batman v Superman and Man of Steel, this is the best. This film's greatest strength is that the two films before it were really, really bad. I don't know. For me, I'd say I like it more than Man of Steel. I think I prefer the ultimate cut of Batman v Superman more than this. But what about the theatrical cut, which was incomprehensible gibberish? Oh yeah, no, that's shit. But 
we reviewed the ultimate cut, so I'm going off that. Anyway, what I'm saying is, this is the best theatrical release of a mainline DC movie Zack Snyder ever directed. And I feel like saying that just caused him to sense a great disturbance in the force. There were there are two credit scenes. One where the Flash and Superman start a race where if Superman wins, Flash has to take them all to brunch because that was a hilarious joke that just needed to come back. No, no, you had to ruin it with that awkward callback to an unfunny joke. Like, just have it end with Flash and Superman racing. Like, yes, I like Flash and Superman racing. It's a thing from the comics. And it builds off their relationship as limited as it was in this film, but had to ruin it with that callback. But the other scene, ooh, it's interesting. We get a post credit scene. Lex Luthor breaks out of Arkham Asylum and he hires Deathstroke to be part of his new evil Justice League. And thankfully, we're going to see that team real soon. Not. So this, and also even worse in the Snyder Cut because it adds in even more. Like, this film's weird. The MCU, it gets criticized somewhat justifiably for having lost scenes. They're just setting up the next movie. This movie is that if they didn't make the next movie, like... Exactly. Although, to be fair, it's probably for the best that this film didn't break even and caused the whole series to be cancelled. Yeah. Because, Riley, have you heard plans for the second and third Justice League movies? I heard the second one was going to be, like, them in an apocalypse Earth fight an evil Superman or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, it's just the Injustice League kills the Justice League, and then Superman becomes evil because Darkseid has the anti-life equation, and we get the apocalypse where we all live in a society. And the point is, it just sounds like the most Zack Snyder shit ever, and I mean that in the worst possible way. Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, that was like the last few scenes of the Snyder Cut. I've seen like the first two-thirds of... The Snyder Cut, I haven't seen the last third, but we obviously will be watching it. Honestly, that's probably the biggest summation of that film's quality, that you started watching it months ago and never finished it. Yeah, I mean, not to go too far into the Snyder Cut, but you know that shot where uh, Aquaman saves that guy from the drowning boat, takes the bottle of whiskey, and walks into the ocean as it's like the waves are crashing and all that? Uh-huh. Yeah, that 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 scene of not him like saving him walking down that pier towards the ocean. Yeah, that was like three or four minutes in the Snyder Cut. Three or four minutes of him walking down a pier. Your silence speaks a thousand words. I don't want to watch that movie. It's better than this. I will say I that. know it's better than this. It can't be great. It can't be great if it has the same plot and is by a director who is incredibly incompetent. Like, it might be better than this, but that's not a high bar. I wouldn't call Snyder incompetent. He knows how to make a visually stunning movie and really great action scenes. I just think he prioritizes good visuals over great storytelling. Well, it's good that the guy that they hired to write this is Zack Snyder and Chris Terrio. Enough about the Snyder Cut. We'll do that soon. 
What can we say about this film? We talk a lot on this show about highs and lows. How high a film goes and how low it goes. Batman v Superman, which I really, really do not like, it had some really good moments. It hidden in an endless sea of awful, unlikable protagonists moping around and having terrible motives and being comic inaccurate. Mm -hmm. This film doesn't have highs. I mean, it's not as low as the last two, but also it's very rarely good. It's passable. That's what this film is. It's passable. It's good enough to exist. I think when it comes to the highs and lows, I think the lows of this film are a different kind of low than the last two. And in that, it makes it hard to compare the two. There are some strengths. There is a movie within this. It just feels like a hodgepodge of two completely different directors' visions. And at the end of the day, it just feels like a studio cash grab trying to create the safest possible movie in order to make as much money as possible. And at the end of the day, it's like, I didn't hate this movie. I do think that people go a little overboard in hating it. It's not great. I wouldn't even go so far as to say it's good. But I don't think it's like the biggest abomination that everyone claims it is. At the same time, I've seen it like, I think this is my third time seeing it. I really don't need to watch it again. This comes across as a very average movie. And the Justice League deserves better than average. You know, this film's greatest strength is being compared to the other two films that existed at this point. Its greatest weakness is comparing it to the other superhero team-up movie made by that one douchebag who worked on this. Because The Avengers from 2012 is the gold standard for superhero team-up movies. That movie is phenomenal. This movie is not. This is a movie I feel that exists because Warner Brothers was already so far in development. I feel like if they hadn't already started development on this, they would have not greenlit it. The fact that this came out a year after Batman v Superman, which was terrible, and they obviously knew was terrible because they tried to move away from it as much as possible. This film exists because they had already started making it and it would have been too unprofitable to stop making it. Right. They didn't want to make it. I mean, Zack Snyder did, but they didn't want him to make it. I think that at the end of the day, this is completely different than the previous two entries in this trilogy. Now, at the same time, we live in a world where the complete version of Zack Snyder's Justice League exists. And in many ways, regardless of whatever we'd think of it when we review it, that's the definitive third installment in this trilogy to many people. And honestly, I would consider myself in that, like, tonally... From a story perspective, I would think that the Snyder Cut is the third installment, making this film completely irrelevant. This movie tries to be a part of something else, and the studio just made it completely irrelevant a couple years later. So in that, I just, it's like, what's the point with this one? You know, the studio didn't want to make it. They bullied Zack Snyder into not wanting to make it, and then they fired him. They discarded him like he's trash, which he's not. Well, he's to be fair, a lot of people assume he was fired, but 
the official story is that he stopped working on it to spend time with his family. And he said he had no energy to fight the studio anymore. This movie, honestly, it, it's what it is. It wastes half the Justice League, that being Cyborg, Aquaman, and Flash. Superman's barely in it. Batman is portrayed well, but not, like, memorably enough for me to think, wow, this is a great portrayal of Batman. Superman is portrayed better, but like I said, his arc is really just, oh, he's alive and he's a monster. Oh no, all of a sudden he's good now. This film doesn't make me angry. Doesn't make me happy either. Right, exactly. It's just the most average meh movie possible. And another thing I don't think I brought up, there's a lot of edits and plot points in the movie that just feel really choppy, which makes sense because they had two completely different filmmakers trying to make two completely different visions of the movie, and that's kind of what you're going to get. It has its fun moments, but there's so much bad dialogue, bad humor. They waste characters. There was a lot of drama behind the scenes, and at the end of the day, you can't really judge it based on that. You, you got, I got to judge it based on the quality of the film, and the film is the unwanted Justice League movie that has since been made irrelevant. Yeah, that's pretty much our thoughts on Justice League Well, not pretty much. We need numbers. Yeah, I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. 7.5. Yeah, this is pretty middle of the road. Like I said, I don't really feel the need to remember this movie, and I've said that before, and I've been wrong on this podcast. Like, there are movies where I'm like, I'm not going to think about it, but then I do. I've seen this movie three times over four years. I'm probably not going to watch this movie ever again. And if I do, it's not going to be soon. And also, I don't know why you do this to yourself. You've seen a movie that's kind of also this movie twice. Or you will have after we review it. This is not a film with a plot deep enough or interesting enough to watch that many times, even if it's different cuts. Yeah. So anyway, you already talked about what we're doing next week we're doing predator yeah yeah the classic arnold schwarzenegger movie i've never actually seen it before Ooh, you're in for a treat my guy it's a classic so riley where can they find the show if they like it although i don't know why they would you can all find us on spotify google podcasts apple podcasts itunes o'reilly uh, well, actually, no, never mind. You have started uploading this on YouTube. But I was going to say, Riley, I don't think they need to know where they can listen to the episode they're listening to. Well, hey, you can find it anywhere. You know, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find our show. But if you want more, you can find us on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Silver Age Silver Screen, where we post a, a lot of updates to the show. And I post some funny TikToks and videos and updates about cinema and everything. So check us out there. Uh, you can find me at Riley Thorpe on YouTube, where you can check out all of my award-winning short films. Uh, that's not even a joke. I'm patting myself hey, in the back right award? now. Uh, some film festivals. Yeah, for you, man. Yeah, thank you. Check out Riley James Thorpe on TikTok and Instagram, where I post a lot of great content on there. Casey, what about you, my guy? You can find me on Twitter at JermsCasey, J-A-R-M-E-S-C-A-S-E-Y. I post about all my ongoing projects, of which... 
there's a lot that I've talked about in the past on this show. I have a book coming out in a few weeks, Double Elimination, The Machine. Also, I have that video essay from July, The Politics of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Those are things to check out. Got a website where I post a bunch of writing. I don't know. We say this every week. It kind of just blurs together in their minds. Uh, We'll be back next week, assuming... We don't get dragged away by the fear demons. Ooh. In our search for a thing we don't care about. Yay, yay. I mean, honestly, I feel just so tired. Like, talking about this movie for a hundred minutes before editing it down. It's just exhausting because there's nothing to talk about. It's just, meh. There were parts of the movie where... I felt the exact same thing about watching it. Anyway, as always, I'm Casey Jarms. And I'm Riley Thorpe. And hey, it's just a movie. Don't lose your head about it. Especially not to a ladder.